0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia, and we are powered by PodMetrics. PodMetrics is a platform we use to get all the data we need for our show, from who listens to us all the way to where they are. PodMetrics takes care of all of that, so we can make better content for you. You can even integrate PodMetrics with Facebook and YouTube, so you can get more data from your live streams. So, if you're a podcaster or want to start your podcast, go visit podmetrics.co and sign up for free. Use our code DOGBEHINDHUMAN.
1: I believe if you have the option, and this goes for people as well as animals, if you have the option of being kind, why would you not pick that
0: Hey guys, you're listening to the Dog Behind the Human podcast with me, your host, Doug Coach Francis. How are you? And is a beautiful Sunday afternoon uh, here in the Philippines, but we do have a special guest today and she is coming all the way, actually live streaming all the way from London and uh, we'll tell you all about her, but anyway, before we call out our guest for today, If you're watching the live stream right now, we actually have series dehydrated dog treats or series choice. As you can see, Serena, my golden retriever, is actually at my back who is joining us for today's podcast. So if you'd like to order some of this dehydrated pure dehydrated liver treats, we do also have chicken dehydrated with pure love, nothing but goodness for you and your dog. So it's just going to be really safe. For your dog and something that they would absolutely love so thank you so much for everybody's going to be joining us today hey guys if you have any questions please key into the comment section whether you're live streaming watching this from youtube or on facebook so we're going to be live okay and I, again we do have our online puppy classes so we are pulling up enrollees for the next coming batch for puppies. So uh, at least for my program, we consider the puppies below six months. And if you have a puppy which is uh, a little bit older, six months and above, then, well, we do have a separate class for that. All right. But anyway, we do have a guest, as I was saying today, and I'm just super excited. She is uh, also a trainer. And uh, let me just tell you all about her. She is the owner and trainer for Paws Up Dogs. She has two beautiful pups, Riggs and Aya, but we'd like to uh, actually ask our guest today who is uh, Riggs and Aya and what's their story. And, uh, but according to her website, she is a pro dog trainer and also a clinical psychologist. How cool is that? And um, while she has been studying human and dog psychology and teaches owners how to build an incredible training relationship with their dog okay so without further ado let's call on our guest for today no other than holly toad holly hello
1: hey how you doing
0: all right how is london today
1: it is very wet it is very (laughs) miserable But it's okay. We've had some beautiful sunshine all week, so we can cope with one day of rain, I think.
0: (laughs) All right. Cool. Cool. When it's raining, do you think that the dogs actually like rain? I mean, do they play or do you think that they would rather not play or train? I mean, how is it? Because right now here in the Philippines, eh, well, it's a little bit cloudy, but it's still a perfect day for training. But in London, I'm not really sure how the weather is like. So when it's raining, does it get cold?
1: Um, usually at the moment it's quite warm but usually when it's in winter it's freezing cold and the wind is whipping the rain around. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> all
0: right so you won't really recommend training when it's raining well, in london i think it
1: depends on the dog so one of my dogs he'll do anything for training. He just loves to train. So if if I just let him in the garden for a walk, he'd be like, nah, mom, I'll stay in the house. But if I got (laughs) some treats out and started engaging with him, then he'd be more interested. Um, My big fluffy girl, not so much. She'd rather sleep inside.
0: (laughs) All right. Super. Okay. So Holly, could you please introduce yourselves to our listeners and everybody's watching the live stream?
1: Sure. So as you said, I'm um, a clinical psychologist by background. So I still work with people a couple of days a week. And then about six years ago, I got my very naughty rescue dog Riggs, um, who's on my website. And he had (laughs) all of the problems under the sun. He had terrible separation anxiety. He pulled on the lead, he barked, he chewed, you name it. Um, (laughs) And so he was my inspiration for creating Paws Up Dog. So now I do Lots of online training, face-to-face training with my uh, two big dogs. And I've just got i have got an 11-week-old Border Collie puppy. So she is my new addition, which is very exciting.
0: <laughs> wow. All right. And what exactly pushed you into dog training? I mean, you're a clinical psychologist. And I know a lot of people who want to be a clinical psychologist. Do they call you doctor? So does yeah, anybody yeah. call you doc?
1: <laughs>
0: wow.
1: I'm not as much of a fan on it. My friend said, you should put that on your website. And I was like, oh, I don't
0: know. Right, right. You could be like Dr. Ian Dunbar. So we can call you Doc Holly Toad. How cool (laughs) is that, right? I mean, people call me Coach Francis because, well, basically that's the brand and uh, it actually tells the story of what we do. We actually coach dogs and they're humans. But as for you... You are the real deal. You are legit. <laughs> you're the doctor, right? So I'm pretty sure uh, there's so much things that you apply with human psychology and uh, at least the similarities and probably differences, right? So anyway, so how long have you been training dogs, Holly?: About oh,
1: six or seven years, I think.
0: All right. And how long have you been practicing clinical psychology?
1: mm 10 years I'm gonna say I think
0: <laughs> Wow like, so quickly <laughs> Wow okay that that's something really interesting uh, clinical psychology at least here in the Philippines there's just only a handful of mm. people that I know who practice clinical psychology and this is a question uh do you prescribe Prozac
1: no so in this country the psychiatrist do all the medication prescribing. Psychologists, oh. it's uh, the talking therapy side of things. Yeah. Cool. And and things. cool. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so that's still cool. So maybe we can start with that. Okay. Uh-huh. Since you're a clinical psychologist, maybe you can give us a, a background on what is the differences of human behavior and dog behavior.
1: Sure. And maybe
0: similarities as well.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I'd probably start with the similarities. The reason why my two jobs go so well together is because take for example in humans we think about attachment theory and we think about how a child attaches to their caregiver and The ideal type of attachment is a child that feels secure with their caregiver. So they can go off and be independent and do their own thing, but come Mm -hmm. back and feel safe. And that's exactly what you want with a dog. So you want a dog that's able to spend some time alone at home. You go on a walk and they're able to go away from you, maybe play with other dogs, have a sniff. But they know that they can come back to you and that you'll protect them and that you're the safe space for them to be. So there's a Mm -hmm. massive similarity there. In terms of differences, I think dogs do speak to us in their own way. They try to communicate with us all the time. We don't always hear it or notice it and like a really common thing that people will say to me when i do behavioral consults is they'll say he just he bit me out of nowhere or he he growled at me and i was really shocked and i said no it's never out of nowhere there's all these little signs that he's giving you that you just haven't noticed it's not your fault but we need to kind of understand that there is a difference between how we communicate and how they do we're mainly verbal mm-hmm. and we're saying no get down no stop that <laughs> and the dog is often listening to our body more than they're listening to our voice. So we might be saying one thing, but our body's saying something totally different, and they're like, what? What's going on?
0: (laughs) All right. So, my question for, again, we're talking about similarities and differences of dogs. When does uh, a relation start to break down between humans raising a puppy versus humans uh, raising a child or a, a kid?
1: I suppose... It depends on the age that you're thinking about, but with a child, you can, you can say to a child, no, I don't want you to do that. And this is the reason why, for example, that's dangerous. And that might hurt you if you stick your fingers in the plug socket, let's say, uh-huh. <laughs> with a dog, if you say no, they might understand that you don't want them to do it, but they don't understand why. And they also don't understand what they should be doing instead. So when Mm -hmm. I'm training dogs, instead of just saying no, I want to think about, actually, can I give you another job to do that's more appropriate? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the really obvious example is, so this morning, my puppy decided to start having a good old chew on um, my bed, which is wooden. She was really getting her teeth on there, (laughs) having a good old chew. Um, And the instinct as a human is to say, no, stop. But instead, I used like an attention noise, which is like a kind of noise to get her Mm. to come over to me she came over to me and then I was like oh you're amazing and I got her to do a couple of tricks by that point she'd forgotten what she was doing over there so I'd given her another job to do so I feel like with dogs you have to um think about it in terms of them not understanding the reasons why you want them not to do something whereas with children especially older children you can explain that a bit more if that makes sense right
0: uh-huh okay Well, here in this country, at least the way I was raised, punishment was really how we were disciplined, right? Um, My father's belt, I've had that. When I was in school, we were supposed to be wearing loafers, but I went up and wore my, my sneakers and I got punished for that. Well, my professor, my instructor asked me to just remove my shoes and walk around the school barefooted. So I still remember it till this day because Mm -hmm. at some point it was a traumatic experience. But I learned from that because they spoke to me. They told me, okay, now do you understand why we did this? Why are we doing this? And you you do understand the consequences and why it happened, right? So until now, I still remember it very vividly. But again, being a human, I can make a connection why that happened. But for dogs, do they make those connections as well? Do they really understand or does it just really confuse them if they get yeah. punished?
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, a lot of people will call themselves more of a balanced trainer. So they use a lot of positive reinforcement and then they also use punishment as well. Um, and technically in dog training, punishment is considered the removal of something. So it uh-huh. might not be absolutely beating the dog. But let's say, for example, you're... Um, the dog's trying to get out of the front door and they're really trying to go and you want them to wait nicely. One thing that someone might do is open the door. If the dog moves forward, you just close the door. Now that's Mm -hmm. not really aggressive, but it's still technically considered punishment because you're removing away something something pleasant from the dog so that they understand. So I think there's levels of it. I do think that some dogs can be punished and they can remember it and then they can go and be absolutely fine. I think other dogs who are maybe a bit more sensitive um, and will get the punishment and not quite understand what it was. So let's say, for example, this morning with my puppy chewing my bed, if I'd shouted at her and hit hit her, let's say, she would have Mm -hmm. stopped what she was doing, I'm sure. But she might not have made that connection with the chewing. She might have looked at the big picture and thought, okay, so I was chewing the bed and there was a noise outside and then I got smacked. So was it the noise or was it the bed? And that's where you can get that bit of confusion and you can end up accidentally developing a dog that's really anxious and worried to be around you, but not really getting <laughs> why mm-hmm, you were upset mm-hmm. in the first place.
0: All right. Well, I'm, well, at least for our listeners, maybe. They're probably curious on what's the effect. Why are you not supporting punishment? I mean, there are still chokers out there. We had Michelle Stern in the show a few weeks back, and she was also telling us that, well, I would never punish a dog, Uh, at least for, for dogs and how we're raising them. Is it okay to use a little bit of punishment?
1: So for me, it's also a firm no. Um, I believe if you have the option and this goes for people as well as animals, if you have the option of being kind, why would you not pick that? Mm -hmm. So I think often punishment can be much faster, much quicker in terms of creating, you know, a response, let's say sometimes, and it also might make us feel a lot better. So we're frustrated. We've been dealing with this dog being annoying all day long, all week long, and we just react. actually, I feel like if we can take a deep breath, take a step back and think to ourselves, my dog doesn't understand. I, as yet, haven't done a good enough job of teaching them how to behave in the way that I want them to. And that might be because they're really little, or it might be because we haven't done much work together yet. I need to think about what I can do to help them to understand rather than just taking the easy route and being unkind. That's kind of how I see it.
0: Right, right. And being a clinical psychologist, there's the same amount Uh, punishment affect children as well does it relate that when you punish a kid growing up do they remember that and does it change the behavior of a child
1: yeah it does so it's again it's the it comes also hand in hand with the personality that's innate in that child so some children you you could scream and shout at them and they'd be completely unbothered like water off a duck's back whatever mom (laughs) (laughs) whereas other children really take that to heart and It's about how it's done as well. So there's a difference between saying, I don't know, if you don't eat all of your vegetables, you can't have your dessert. Again, that's Mm -hmm. a type of punishment but you can explain why. And there's a difference between if you don't eat your vegetables, you can't have pudding. If you don't eat your vegetables, I'm going to hit you. Like, they're quite extreme. <laughs> so I do right. think with children, you can you can offer a type of punishment to ex- and explain the consequences, so long as it's not violent. But with dogs, like I was saying, that's just much harder to do. Um, so I would prefer to take the kinder route if I can.
0: Right, good. I completely agree, and that's also the same advice that I give to my to my clients and to my students. If you have a puppy, why would you choose to punish a puppy if they won't understand you anyway? So if you're using something positive to teach your, your dog, the only repercussion maybe or the only thing that's going to be bad for the dog is you have a dog that is overweight because you're maybe using too much treats. All right, And that's the only yeah. bad thing that's going to happen to your dog. But it won't be a ticking time bomb in the future just because you're using a choker. Or maybe you're not using even a choker, but the overall training style is very punitive. And maybe you you copied it from another trainer who's just using a no reward marker or a punishment marker. Like, right? So we all know who that is. Chances are it won't work. Or maybe if it does work, it has a excess baggage, which you'll probably realize once they're older. So um, can you please uh, answer this question? We have a, a question coming from Ian Lorenzo, and she says, is there a difference between positive trainers and balance trainers?
1: Yeah, yeah, there is. So there's lots, it's a bit confusing because there's lots of different ways of saying the same thing. So some people call themselves a positive trainer. Sometimes they call themselves a force-free trainer. That kind of, if you think of it in terms of a line, positive is on this side, Um, punishment is on this side and balanced you'd think would be in the middle but actually it's a little bit closer to punishment I would say Um, Mm -hmm. and so what's happening there is that sometimes when the dog does something we like we're using positive reinforcement like a treat or a toy or a game or something like that but when they do something we don't like We might also use some punishment in there as well. And it might be something like um, if you've got a lead on your dog's neck, kind of snapping it, not really aggressively, but letting them know that that's not okay. And again, that's not something that I would subscribe to at all. So it's it's called balance, which I think is a nice word, (laughs) which can be a little bit misleading because actually there is some punishment going on in there as well.
0: Right, right. So would you say that there is still a lot of uh, other trainers out there who really mask themselves and call themselves balance trainers, but in reality, the overall psychology or philosophy or training style is really more of a more traditional approach?
1: I think definitely. And I don't think it's necessarily always malicious. I think it's like anything that's been around for a long time. People just copy what's come before them in a lot of senses and this I often find this with dog owners that come to me after they've been to another trainer who's local to me who's quite punishment focused and they'll come and they'll say oh I did what he told me to do because I thought that's what I needed to do to get a well-behaved dog I thought I needed to be in charge and be the pack leader and all of those Mm -hmm. kinds of words that's what I'd read about online so I did it but I didn't feel comfortable doing it and now my dog's a bit anxious and that's when they'll come to me or another positive trainer afterwards we'll show them a completely different way of doing things. And they'll say, oh, I love this. This is what I wanted to do. But I thought I had to be strict. So, yeah, I, okay. think, it, I think it can be masked, definitely.
0: Right. Um, being a clinical psychologist and a dog trainer, which... Would you prefer to teach or train? Is it going to be a dog or a kid 100% <laughs> or a human?
1: A dog, a hundred percent, a dog. <laughs> I mean, I use a lot of my psychology knowledge to work with owners, to be honest, and a lot of that actually is the empathy side of things. So really empathizing with people's situations because people will keep some of these these fears inside. They might even be thinking, "I I wish I hadn't got this dog. I don't." I'm a good enough owner I'm not doing the best for them I don't know if I should keep them and they're really scary things and they create a lot of guilt and a lot of strong feelings and so I want to be able to be there to say that's normal (laughs) please don't Uh worry we can help you to feel better about this situation so I do use quite a lot of it in the work with owners um, as well but if I was given the choice give me a dog any day
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right Uh, During our past episodes, we were talking about anthropomorphism, Mm -hmm. right? And one thing that we've noticed is there are more people who's having issues with their dogs just because they are starting to treat their dog as if it's a grandchild uh, to a point that they would rather side with the dog than to side with their own daughter, human daughter. And uh, it's becoming much more prevalent nowadays uh, because maybe it's social media or Instagram so what do you think about anthropomorphism and why should people um, stop that
1: I think we do have to recognize the difference between our species we aren't the same and you can like I adore my dogs they're my absolute world I would do anything for them but I still recognize their need to be a dog They don't need to be like a human. They need to be a dog. You see dogs interacting. It's so different from how a dog interacts with a person. It's completely worlds apart. And they need to have that as well. They need to be part of their own species. So I do try and remember that. And I I wouldn't force humanisms on my dog, if that makes sense. So some dogs really don't like to be hugged and cuddled and grabbed hold of. And you'll see signs in their face that they're not comfortable with that others love it. So it's not there's not a clear cut line for every single dog. But I think it's absolutely wonderful to adore and have a wonderful relationship with your dog. But it needs to be that human dog relationship because what you can create is you can create an anxious dog because actually they weren't born to live in houses. They weren't born to come to work with us necessarily or to do all these things. And we can absolutely train them to be comfortable with that and they can have a wonderful life. But if all they are doing is human things, they aren't getting to be dogs. And I don't think that's fair necessarily.
0: Okay, so what what kind of expertise... Are you working on um, Holly? Um, at least each dog trainer has their own expertise. And what do you specialize in? What's your interest?
1: So I have my big three because I can never pick. (laughs) So my first one is puppies. I absolutely love puppy training. I do lots of courses for puppies. My Uh second one is agility. Um, So agility, we obviously trade more face-to-face. And my third one is separation anxiety. Um, So having had a separation anxiety dog, I know what that's like. Um, So I focus on that with people as well. So they are my big three.
0: All right. So... Have you competed in agility competitions? Yes. Yeah. Well, what's going to be your tip? Do you have a specific dog in mind that if you're going to join an agility, you need to have this kind of dog? Or can you use any dog? And will they fit the requirements?
1: Yeah. So there's, there's different. I don't know how it works where you are. But in the UK, there's different height levels. So you can have like four different height levels from teeny tiny up to big. The only dog that I wouldn't suggest is great for agility is a really giant breed. I have a Pyrenean Mountain Dog. She's 62 kilos, and I don't want her jumping off of things and shuddering her shoulders necessarily. But any other dog is absolutely fabulous. There's a bit of a myth that it only has to be a collie. That's so not Mm -hmm. true. I do it with my Labrador, Staffy Cross, and he is incredible. He has so much fun. So honestly, any dog, it's such a good confidence builder. We're working with a little cockpit recently when she came she was so nervous she was always shaking standing now soon as she gets there the tail's up she's ready to go she's having fun and that's what's important even if she never competes it's getting her confidence and making her feel really happy so it's lovely to see
0: all right well the major problem right now for anybody who is thinking of going into going into agility at least here in the philippines we have the covid 19 um, 19- issue still being a huge problem for for us what are the alternatives that we could do um at least we can't go on to the show ring that's canceled we can't do agility because that would be tagged as mass scattering at least in our country which is absolutely forbidden we're trying to keep everybody safe do you have any alternatives that our pet parents can do
1: Sure, yeah. You can do um, quite a lot of fitness work at home with your dog. I can just give you a couple of examples. So there's a couple of websites. um, There's Toto Fit and there's Fit Paws that do fit dog equipment. But you don't really need anything fancy. You could just use a solid box. Teach your dog to stand with two front paws on the box. And then with two back paws on the box, then you can get them to stand with four objects, one paw on each. All it does is it builds their core strength, it builds their conditioning, gets them really nice and fit and ready for when we do go back to normal. (laughs) Right. Um, You can also, you can create little agility courses in your garden. So, um, I don't know if everyone's familiar with Cavaletti poles, they're quite good fun. Um, So they're basically a row of several (coughs) poles and you want your dog, almost like a horse, to kind of trot over them in a nice, nice rhythmic kind of even pattern. Uh-huh. Do a bit of jumping all kinds of things that you can do even in your house even if you don't have a garden or a backyard um that get the fitness going get the confidence going but it doesn't mean you're in a big group of people because that is obviously something we can't do at the moment
0: right right so when it comes to fixing dogs we usually get a lot of questions for how i'm raising my dog i mean but what is your pet peeve so what's that thing that dogs do that just really ticks you off that's your specialty that's what you're just thinking of that you're obsessed with
1: (laughs) so for me it's excessive barking and Mm. the reason is because i'm traumatized by it because when we first got our rescue dog he had such terrible separation anxiety that I had to listen to that that howling and barking and it was so distressing for him and me that now now, a few barks I'm absolutely fine but a dog that just barks and barks and barks I can feel my like okay (laughs) (laughs) pressure going up a little bit so that's the thing so when I just got this new puppy for example um she was really vocal in the first week and I was thinking okay I need to work with this because when I'm at home I want to have a nice quiet relaxed house I've got lots of dogs I don't want them all like woof, 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 constantly so that's the thing that I tend to work on I want to understand why they're barking is it because a need hasn't been met do they need the toilet food drink attention whatever Is it demand barking because I've got some food in my hands and they'd quite like that. (laughs) And then I need Uh to think about how can I do a bit of impulse control work in that situation so that they learn that they just need to control themselves a little bit and then they can have a bit of what they want, basically.
0: When it comes to uh, excessive barking... How do dogs learn learn excessive barking? I mean, usually once they're born, they're not successfully barking. But what's going on? Why are those behaviors being triggered? What do you think?
1: It's There's so many different reasons for it. The one I probably see the most is alert barking. So not even specific breeds. It can be any breed um, that is really triggered by sudden sounds. So Mm -hmm. maybe they're inside house, they hear another dog barking a few doors down, that triggers them. Maybe someone walks past the window, that triggers them. You drop something, maybe there's an animal on the TV, that triggers them. (laughs) Usually I think that's just a bit of a lack of confidence. Unless you've got a a breed that's bred to guard, it is a little bit of a lack of confidence. They're just not feeling too happy when unexpected things pop up in their environment so I'd want to do a little bit of desensitization work just to make them feel a bit more comfortable with that and so they don't feel the need to say hey look hey look every two seconds
0: (laughs) Holly what is the future for you what do you think is the future for dog training despite the COVID-19 epidemic that's going on
1: I think we're really moving in the right direction I have had more owners in the last six months than ever before who, when they call to inquire, they say, is it positive training? And that mm-hmm. makes my heart sing <laughs> um, because I, I do um, some kind of lives in my Facebook group and I'm always giving people advice on what to ask when you look for a trainer. And that's one of the things, are you a force-free trainer? Uh-huh. Because that's not something that they'll necessarily tell you if they're not. So, I do feel like we are moving in the right direction. Um, I do think, I'm not sure what it's like in the Philippines, but certainly in this country, there are still a lot of programs on TV that really subscribe to older methods. So one mm-hmm. very particular famous gentleman, um, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, his <laughs> TV show is on all the time. And I will, I'll often go to visit someone on a one to one and they'll say, Oh, I watched this. And um, he said to do this. So I've been I've been squirting water in their face. And I'm like, I I think we do have a way to go still but I'm glad I feel like we're moving in the right direction and for me I feel like I have less of a battle explaining to people that they need to focus on the bond with their dog above everything else now people are like oh yeah I want to have a great bond with my dog that's what I want and that's really really lovely so Mm -hmm. I think if we can when we move past the pandemic hopefully soon people will be raring to go to get out and do stuff with their dogs whether that's sports or scent work or whatever it might be yeah so I'm feeling quite excited about moving forward definitely.
0: Right can you please tell us something about paws up dogs?
1: Um, So I do lots of local classes I do uh, puppies I do older dogs I do agility um, and one-to-ones as well. But the majority of what I do now is actually online. So I do lots of challenges. I've just actually finished a five-day puppy training challenge, which was Mm. so much fun. So many cute videos of these little puppies doing these exercises. And I do lots of online courses. So I have um, online digital training courses for puppies, loose lead walking, recall, um, calm dog. But I suppose my most exciting thing is I have a, a monthly membership called Canine Connection. So basically, people have um, pay each month and they get materials delivered every single week. So they get to have help with their training and live coaching calls as well. So very busy.
0: Wow. That sounds <laughs> a lot of work and it sounds really exciting, uh, Holly. Yeah. We do have a question finally on our uh, live feed from Carol Walton. And uh, Carol says, Hello, Holly, great advice recently and fabulous help. What can you advise for pulling on leash? Nice to see you here.
1: Hi, Carol. Carol's just done my challenge, which is very cool. <laughs> I think she's in for uh, in the running for the grand prize, which is exciting, which I'm doing after we, we jump off our call. <laughs> wow. Um, so, loose-lead walking, um, for me, there's a few factors that come into play. So obviously you're working with distractions. Oh, there's your dog. She's so gorgeous.
0: (laughs) popping up Thank you, yeah.
1: (laughs) So you're working with distractions um, out and about. There's sights, there's smells, there's sounds, there's all kinds of things. So what you really want to think about is you want to make the area next to your leg the most rewarding it can possibly be. So when I start with loose-lead walking, I don't actually start outside. I start inside. I use a clicker, Mm -hmm. um, and all I'm going to do is just walk up and down. Whenever my dog checks in and comes close to my leg I'm going to click and give them a bit of food And tell them how amazing and wonderful they are And we'll do that for several weeks Of course you can go for a walk in the meantime But you're just really reinforcing that Then when you feel like they've got it And as soon as you get your clicker out They're like oh yep here I am (laughs) You can start to take that outside as well People often ask me about what harnesses and leads And is there a magic harness No There are harnesses that will help you, but the Mm -hmm. training has to be there as well. I like to use the Y-shaped ones that come kind of over here, clip under the belly. It means you've got nice shoulder movement. Um, And I use a double-ended lead, so a lead that clips to the chest and then clips to the back, like kind of Mm -hmm. horse's reins almost. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) That just helps with your connection with your dog when you're walking. So it just helps to keep them connected. And then you've got your clicker and your treats. Honestly, that's the best technique I have. Um, I do use lots of other games to really reward proximity and closeness, but that's kind of the core technique that I use, definitely.
2: Hi, my name is Jelly Victor. And I'm JC Alanis. Do check out the Parent Team Podcast, Real Parents Facing Modern Problems Together. This is brought to you by YF Nutrition Parent Team and Podcast Network Asia.
0: All right. So for everybody who's uh, listening to the podcast and you may not be familiar with a clicker, a clicker is a small device that produces a clicking sound. All right. So, and then every time the click is uh sounded it. We are telling a dog that you're doing something right and that a reward is coming, so that is what a clicker is for. But um, using a clicker is not as easy as it seems because it will take a lot of muscle memory from you, especially if you're a newbie or new to dog training. It will also maybe be a challenge because you're probably holding it, you're holding a clicker and then you're going to be saying a command. Or maybe if you're even usual using visual commands, that might be an issue as well. So it may take some time getting used to, but as soon as you get used to it, you can work wonders with the clicker. And you can, uh, well, most dog tricks are actually being taught using a clicker, especially if you have to do a lot of repetitions, right? So, Holly, maybe you can explain to our listeners a little bit more about Clicker on how we actually use it or what trick can be taught using a Clicker.
1: Um, I have a little tip as well about how to not get too fumbly with your hands. So remind Mm -hmm. me, I'll tell you about that as well. So the idea behind a clicker is that as humans, we can be a little bit slow to reward sometimes. So we're, you know, we're fumbling around, we've got our treats and in pockets and things like that, and we're trying to get things right. And when you're working with dogs, especially young dogs, you've got quite a small window to get the reward in there before their mind has gone off to something else. So if you reward too late, you're not actually rewarding the thing that, you want they're just getting a treat (laughs) which is fine but yeah it's less of a strong behavior so the click it gets in there quickly it's a very distinctive noise to your dog so they know oh that means I did something right fabulous you always want to make sure that if you do click you do follow up with a reward So it's Mm -hmm, meaningful because if if you just click wildly, I see people in the park just clicking, clicking, clicking. Oh, yeah. yeah. No reward is coming. The dog, it doesn't mean anything to them. They think it's a remote. (laughs)
0: Exactly.
1: (laughs) So the use of it, if like you were saying for teaching a trick, you can teach a really complex trick with a clicker. What you start with, so let's say, we'll use a simple one, let's say teaching a paw, for example going to hold a treat in front of your dog's face in your fist like this. They'll, they'll look at it. And then eventually they'll just start to lift their front foot, might just a tiny centimeter, you're going to click and then reward and then they'll do it again and then they'll do it again and basically as their foot comes higher off the ground you start only rewarding for those nice high lifts and you stop rewarding for the little baby ones that they did at the beginning so it's kind of little approximations getting closer to the behavior that you're looking for which is the full-on paw lift um, mm-hmm. and then once they've achieved that you just start clicking and rewarding for the, the perfect behavior and all those little ones kind of drift away so what the dog is doing is they're they're figuring it out for themselves they're learning how to get to what you want and once you've done that with a few tricks your dog actually becomes really smart at trying to figure out what you're looking for so they'll be like do you want this do you want that am i gonna sit here am i gonna go around there and that's really lovely to see because you see their little brains working so clicker's a really handy little tool Um, and i suppose my my technique especially for loose lead walking my little trick that i use so i would have my dog lead in my left dominant hand so if I'm right-handed mm-hmm. I'd have that in my left I'd have my clicker around my wrist so you can get ones with a bit of elastic and what you're going to do you're going to say in your head click drop treat
0: wow. so clicker,
1: clicker and treats in the same hand click drop treat and it's not going to go anywhere because it's attached to your wrist so <laughs> that's why I tell people to say in their head while they're walking along and that can kind of help a little bit
0: All right, I love that, I love that. Okay, (laughs) wonderful, and that's a very insightful tip on how to use a clicker. I use the clickers, well, most of the time, but again, when I'm teaching somebody new, I prefer to just teach them verbal markers uh, using guesses, because that's a little bit easier for most, but if you are a little bit more advanced and you have practice with the clicker, then using the clicker is the way to go. All right, we have another question here from uh, um, Ian, and he says, do you think service dogs will ever be obsolete, replaced by technology? I think um, I was discussing about this at some point, that um, maybe we will not need guide dogs in the future because maybe we can have technology do the work for us, and then maybe we can just use the skills of the dogs in other service-related work right mm. so what do you think
1: that's a really interesting question I'm not sure I think I mean if you look at how technology is going I'm sure we'll get to a point where there is something that's gonna that's gonna be available that will be as good as what a dog can do I don't know if everyone would choose that though mm-hmm. I think I think some people might still because a robot let's call it a robot can do all those kinds of things practical things for you but they don't have that relationship you can't give them a cuddle (laughs) you you can't sort of seek reassurance from them i have a friend who's deaf and she has a hearing dog and um if she's feeling like a bit anxious in a social situation so she lip reads but it's very hard for her in a group because everyone talks over each other and at the same time and she just can't keep up so she's got evie next to her she can just give her a stroke and it gives that kind of connection Mm -hmm. so I, I do think some people would still prefer that over maybe something technological, but we will see. <laughs> right,
0: right. And of course, uh, no matter how advanced the technology is, that technology won't be able to replace the warmth and love provided by a dog, especially for someone who probably has PTSD, right? So no no machine can ever give you that warmth and security than what the dog can give, right? So another question is coming from RD Clofas. And she's she's asking, how do you deal with dogs that are spoiled by their owners, especially when it comes to food? They become very choosy on what they eat. <laughs> so
1: this would be more about dealing with the owner than dealing with the dog, I think. Uh-huh because I think when when you're in that situation the, the dog dogs do what they find rewarding dogs are creatures of efficiency so if that dog has learned that, Um, if I don't eat my kibble let's say I'm going to be given chicken then of course they're going to do that that's like someone saying to me you can have a horrible nasty sandwich from the supermarket or if you don't eat that I'll give you a gourmet dinner of course I'm going to not eat my sandwich so I would be thinking more about working with the owner but if you're in that situation top tip which I give to everybody is to live a bowl-free life There's so many advantages to this, but basically it means rather than just throwing your dog's food in a bowl at breakfast and dinner and saying, here you go, and they sort of take it or leave it. If instead you can get your dog to work for their food, and I don't mean hard work, I mean fun kind of training games with you, that makes the food more rewarding. There's lots of science behind this, but basically dogs prefer to work for their food than just to be given it for free. It has more value and more meaning to them. And it doesn't mean you have to be training your dog all day long. You can use things like stuff, puzzle toys, Kongs, I know, food and boxes, all those kinds of things. But that's what I would do to make the dog more interested in food. Um and then I'd be saying to the owner, <laughs> just be a little bit careful about your behavior as well at the same time, I think.
0: There you go. There you go. That's why we're both choosing to train dogs. <laughs> um, her being a clinical psychologist and before uh, before going to dog training, I was actually training people um, in corporate stuff, uh, technical training, yeah, those kind of corporate stuff for for some companies. And I ended up choosing training dogs because I think it's easier to train dogs than most people I know or get to meet. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Um, Carol is saying, brilliant. Thanks. Uh, I have another question from Marco Salcedo, And she is asking, she would love to do agility and other behaviors, but her dog is not incentivized by treats. So what, um, any other alternative, Holly?
1: So firstly, just to say that ditching, like getting rid of the bowl and ditching all that side of it will make your dog more interested in treats to start with. However, you can absolutely use toys if your dog likes toys and you want to sort of play around with it a little bit. So don't just pick a random toy. I'll do like a toy party. So I'll put down a tennis ball, a tug toy, a rope, all different kinds of things, a squeaky toy, and I'll put them all down in the garden and I'll see where my dog. Goes first, that gives me some indication of what their favorite toy is. So, you can definitely use a toy to reward. Some dogs really like movement as a reward. So, if you've got a dog that loves chasing other dogs, let's say, or chasing birds, if that's what they find rewarding, you can make yourself the movement, let's say. So, I'll give you an example. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm training one of my dogs loves movement, that's what I mainly use to reward her. So I might ask her to lie down. As soon as she lies down, I'm gonna say, yeah, and I'm gonna run away. She gets to chase me. That's her joy. So she Mm -hmm. would far rather do that than have a treat from me any day. So I would advise just watch your dog for a day and just notice how they reward themselves, what they love to do, and then try and think about how you can incorporate that in your training.
0: There you go. Okay, so I hope that answered your question, Margot. I think we have a comment um, from Carol again. She says the nose activity you taught was a really good one that Millie learned really quickly. What was that nose activity, um, Holly?
1: I'm not sure which one Carol's referring to. We had we did two. So we taught a hand touch where your dog smishes their nose into your hand. Mm-hmm. We also taught um what we call nose, which is where you get your dog to put their nose inside an object. So inside like a cone or something like that. It's just a confidence builder and a kind of a focus exercise.
0: All right. So there you go. So I think that technique is called targeting, right? So you're using your dog's nose to target an object. And then you can reward using a verbal marker yep. or just like what we uh, we were talking earlier, clicker. But make sure there's always a reward in the end, whether that's going to be a treat or maybe their favorite toy. Okay. So um, maybe you can help me out, explain to our uh, listeners or to our viewers right now, we usually get hit by uh, or bashed by other pet parents who follow a more traditional approach of training dogs. They're saying that positive reinforcement, yes, that works, but you're using food. And whenever you're using food, yes, your dog is following, but as soon as you don't have any food, your dog is never gonna follow you. So those are the usual comments that we get. And this is also what I'm trying to teach my students that they do not rely solely on food. So maybe you can give an insight on Uh, What are pet parents doing wrong with the use of food, even though it's a very powerful tool?
1: Sure. This is a question that I get asked a lot as well, so it definitely comes up. I think there's lots of parts to it, but the main one for me is it's your position of your food. So let's say you've got a tiny puppy and you're teaching them how to sit. Most people will teach that by getting the treat in their hand, putting it over the top of the dog's head, their bum hits the ground and you give them the food and you say, sit, well done. That's great. That's, that's an absolutely fine way to teach a sit. However, you want to transition quite quickly from using the food as a law. So you're actually putting them into position with your hand to using it as a reward. So basically, the, reason, the way I would do that in that example is I'd get them to do a few repetitions, maybe over a couple of days, using the food, using the food. And as soon as their bum hit the ground, I would say sit. Then I would flip that the other way. So I would say sit first. No hand at the moment, no food at the moment. Just my hand goes over the top of their head. And then I would reward them from my pocket. So you want to just move quite quickly from having the food in your hand in front of their face to actually just using an empty hand and then the food comes out of your pocket. That way you don't always have to give them a food reward. Sometimes you might just give them verbal praise sometimes you might give them two rewards the way you want to do it is just keep them guessing so they never know if they might get rewarded or they might get rewarded once or they might get rewarded twice or they might get a toy or they might get food that way if you're always guessing you're always going to do it because you're like oh what's coming this time (laughs) so that's the first thing to think about the second one is being very careful not to use food just to shut your dog up because you're embarrassed. Yes. So let's take an example if, if you're out in a coffee shop with your dog or a public place and they start barking and you're embarrassed because there's people around. So you just say, shush, 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 and you just feed them. <laughs> All that dog is learning is when I bark, I get fed, and they're just gonna bark even more, and you're gonna create excitement, and that's gonna become a thing. So, in that situation, I'd be thinking about A, why is my dog barking? Actually, is this a bit too much for them right now? Maybe I need to be somewhere quieter, maybe I need to practice this scenario somewhere safe, or whatever it might be. But just be very careful about using food to kind of shut your dog up, I would say. And that's not necessarily barking, that could be anything thing that they're doing that you don't really like like chewing your table for example don't just feed them <laughs>
0: yeah there you go so when we're using food to train our dogs you also need to be responsible right so you do not want to be rewarding the wrong behaviors. if you have a dog that is barking like what holly is saying you're giving a treat so you'll just shut up and uh hopefully Keep quiet, but chances are they won't keep quiet because they will, guess what, bark again because they want another treat. So be careful in uh, rewarding those behaviors. And then uh, I, I guess what Holly is trying to tell us is, and what I got from it is, you have to wean out the treats slowly, but as fast as you can. You don't want to be too reliant on the treats. You want the dog to be always guessing and thinking hey, when do I get the treat and what do I need to do to get a treat and how many repetitions? You want the dog to keep on guessing when the treat is coming. And in that way, you would then have a dog who is just obsessed, right? And trying to win the treat, the jackpot moment. Okay. Holly, it's been nice talking to you, but before we end our interview hopefully we can invite you again but before i ask you my final question uh, carol walton says the cup one
1: ah oh, yeah so that's getting your dog to pop their nose into like a cup or a cone or something like that yeah
0: right that's uh, that's super cute maybe i should do that with my students as well
1: yeah All right
0: okay <laughs> so the name of the show is The Dog Behind the Human, okay? The reason that we created this show is because we get, we want to know about the dogs that is behind the dog trainer or the professional or our guest. For you, who is that dog that changed your life? Who is that dog behind the human for Holly Toad?
1: <laughs> that is Riggs. Um he is the best dog in the world. They're all the best dog in the world, I know. <laughs> but um he is my absolute superstar. He actually makes me feel emotion, just emotional just talking about him because he, as I was saying earlier, he had so many difficulties. He was um an RSPCA abuse case when he came to us. He'd been quite badly treated. Um And he was so anxious, so reactive, so worried about the world. Um, And we've worked so, so hard together. Now I just trust him 100% in any situation. He's a fantastic big brother to the two girls. um, Mm -hmm. And he's a wonderful boy. So yeah, Mr. Riggs is my my dream dog now.
0: (laughs) All right. And Mr. Riggs is what uh, dog breed?
1: He is a Labrador crossed with a Staffordshire Bull Terrier.
0: Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, Must have a lot of energy.
1: Yes. Well, there was a lot of energy when he first arrived, that's for sure. One (laughs) day he he actually got hold of a wooden dining room table, big table, and pulled it into his bed. (laughs) (laughs) It was quite impressive, yeah.
0: All right. Well, good on you, Mr. Riggs. Okay. So, Holly, thank you so much for being on the show. Time flies when you're having fun, especially if we have uh, such a knowledgeable and a, a really competent dog trainer and as well as a clinical psychologist. OK, so maybe on our next uh, next episode, once we get to invite and Holly's free, maybe you can also ask her uh, questions about your little ones, the human ones. OK, because we, she is, after all, a clinical psychologist and uh, it just really amazes me um, sometimes about the differences and similarities of racing uh, a little human and also a uh, a puppy okay holly how can people get in touch with you in london
1: sure um so if you're on facebook if you search for pesky pooch dog training support that is my free facebook group where i do lots of training advice and challenges and things um otherwise just go to my website which is www.pauseupdogs.com
0: there you go thank you so much holly till next time i hope to invite you again on future episodes
1: thank you it's been great thank you
0: all right thank you holly bye and now for the barking news
2: In an article written by Alicia Lee from CNN, a Kansas dog went missing for days. Turns out, she had journeyed to her previous home in Missouri, over 50 miles away. After Cleo, the four-year-old Labrador, went missing, her owners found her somewhere they didn't expect—at home. Except that it was the family's previous home in Lawson, Missouri, rather than their home in Olathe, Kansas. The family hadn't lived in their Kansas home for nearly two years, but Clay made her way back to its porch, where the new homeowner found her. My wife and I had just gotten home from work, Colton Michael, the house's new owner, told TNN. Clay was laying on the front porch at the front door, just laying there waiting for somebody, it seemed like. Clay wasn't wearing a collar, but she was too well-drewed to be a stray, Michael thought. So, he had Clay's cat for a microchip. Thankfully, she had one and it pulled up the name of her owner. That's when my wife pointed out that their last name was the same last name as the previous owner of the house, Michael said. So, he went onto Facebook and searched the owner's name and saw that his family had posted that their dog went missing a week earlier. I told him that he found his dog, but once I told him where he was, he was kind of speechless. Michael recalled, door to door, Clayton would have to travel 57 miles from her current home in Kansas to her previous home in Missouri, according to CNN affiliate, KMBC. And neither family knows how she made the trip, considering the fact that she would have to cross a river or a bridge crossing with heavy traffic to get to the house. In an article from ABC, written by Latoya Jameson and Marisa Parrot. Detection dogs can help endangered native wildlife find a mate. Moss bounds happily through the bush, showing the usual exuberance of a young Labrador. Despite his looking like plague, he is in a serious mission to help fight the extinction of some of our most critically endangered species. Moss is a detection dog in training. These dogs use their exceptional olfactory senses to locate everything from koalas high in the trees, desert tortoises burrowed deep under soil and even whales, often more effectively than any human team would aspire to. What makes Moss unique, however, is he'll not only find endangered species in the wild, but it will also be a part of a larger team helping endangered species breed effectively. These dogs will be the first in the world to do this, starting with a groundbreaking trial with Tasmanian devils. Moss will eventually help find the tiny cryptic bobo dog frog in the wild. This is Irene for the Party News. See you next week.
0: And before I say bye, I would like to read to you our dog code of the day. All right, so our dog code for... Today is coming from actor Will Rogers and Will Rogers says, if there are no dogs in heaven, then when I die, I want to go where they went. And that's it for today's episode. Please don't forget to follow us on our social media pages like Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just search for Dog Coach Francis on those three platforms. Aside from Spotify, you can also catch the dog behind the human on other audio streaming platforms like Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Again, this has been your host, Dog Coach Francis, and like I always say, keep healthy, keep safe, and don't forget to pet your dog.